This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God Church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. brought your Bibles with you today. If you're here today and you do not have a Bible, we will be glad uh, to provide you with one. So be sure to see one of our ushers immediately after the service or even during the service. You're welcome to see Jay, our head usher in the back, and he'll be glad to get you a Bible. Uh, Because as we read the Word of God, uh, the Word of God is our foundation. And so let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us insight today as we spend some time looking into some very important things that Jesus taught us. Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct our understanding this morning. I pray that you would bless each person that is in this room. I pray that you would allow us to hear what your Spirit has to say and that we would take what you have to say and put it to practice. Lord Jesus, we know that the world around us in many areas is dealing with chaos and yet you said that you came to give a peace that the world can never take away. For that we are grateful. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning and that we would leave this place with a fresh sense of very specific direction from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 18. I want to talk to you this morning about a little bit of a contrast between two people. And both of these people were quite wealthy. So I want to compare and contrast uh, two rich people this morning. And as we begin looking at the first one, it's in verse 18 of chapter 18 in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. It says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. Now, it's an interesting answer because we know that Jesus is the word of God. Uh, Jesus is God himself incarnate. So, Jesus is the very definition of good. And yet when this man asked Jesus, what good thing shall I do? Jesus answered by stating, why do you call me good? Now it's interesting. He did not say, I am not good. He said, why do you call me good? And the answer to that question is very important. Jesus followed it up by saying only God is truly good. So he was trying to get the man to understand that by virtue of saying good teacher, what did he really mean when he was referencing Jesus as a good teacher? And to make note that when we hear people talk about Jesus as a good teacher, which there are many people in the world that will acknowledge that Jesus was a good teacher. 
But they, if they believe that he was indeed a good teacher, then they must come to grips with the good things that he taught. And the problem that happens sometimes is it's easy to pick and choose what things we want to hear. But Jesus, who, gave the, who spoke about the golden rule, there are many people who will quote the golden rule. And that is very important. We must do unto others as we would want done unto us. And there will be those who would readily accept that statement, who would not readily accept another statement, which came from the very same mouth, where Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, so it's easy to kind of pick and choose unless we either recognize that when Jesus said those words, he didn't know what he was talking about or he was flat out lying or he really was telling the truth. And we have to wrestle with that ourselves and those who are willing to call Jesus a good teacher have to also wrestle with that. Because Jesus made some very bold statements. So Jesus obliged the question to this man in verse 20. And he said, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Now, if you ever found yourself in a conversation where you're trying to show someone that they need Jesus, and from their own mouth, they bring before you their own goodness, which seems to trump the reality that they even need God. You may be left kind of scratching your head like, oh, really? You're that good? So what do I say now? So here's Jesus, the Son of God, having this discussion with this religious leader who has come to his own conclusion that he's kept all these commandments since he was young. Where do you go with this conversation? Because after all, if you've kept all these commandments... Why would you need a savior? Am I right? I mean, if you can do it, I mean, why have someone else do it for you? In fact, when I was on the island of Martha's Vineyard, there was a very nice old man who would deliver our bottled water. And he would come on a regular basis and he owned his own business. He lived on the island, I believe, for most all of his life. And uh, we got into a conversation about Jesus. And I began to talk to him about how every single one of us have a debt that we owe and that we cannot pay it. And that's why Jesus came to pay the debt. And uh, this gentleman had a very interesting take on that idea. He said, now, it's kind of dangerous when you start telling people that they don't have to cover their own consequences. He said, because then people will think 
that they can get away with anything. And he came to the conclusion, he said, I don't need anybody else to pay the penalties that I deserve to pay. We continued the conversation and I shared with him more that I felt the Lord share with me, but his heart was essentially closed. He had made a decision that any penalty that he would owe, he would take care of. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. But did you know that there are two deaths? The Bible refers to them as the first death and the second death. The first death is one that every single one of us will experience unless Christ comes back first. That is, this physical body will eventually wear down and the spirit will leave this body. And that's the first death. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. The first death is not something I'm too concerned about, to be quite honest with you. The Apostle Paul said it in these words, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we need not fear the first death at all. But the second death is a whole nother story. The second death is after this physical body has been destroyed, our spirit, the Bible says, is placed into either the presence of the Lord, which is eternal life, or we experience the opposite, eternal death. The scripture tells us that outside the presence of God is everything that you would experience absent any good, which God is. And so there is a place called hell, a place the Bible tells us where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place where people spend forever outside the presence of God. Oh, it's not something easy to talk about. It's a very sobering thing. But the Bible, the Word of God, speaks of it. Jesus speaks of it. And it is very much something, once again, that we have to wrestle with if we are going to believe that Jesus indeed not only is a good teacher, but is God himself who came to teach us the truth. The second death is what you need to look out for. And that's why when Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus, he said that you must be born a second time to enter into the kingdom of God. The first birth, when you deal with the first death, your body ends up going in the grave. But the second birth deals with the transformation to keep your spirit from the second death. And the Bible tells us that when we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, our spirit is saved. And what a wonderful thing that is. And then, of course, we have to look forward to the resurrection where this body will also be resurrected. And what a wonderful promise that is. 
So here is this man who believes he's doing quite well. He says, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And when Jesus heard his answer, he says, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now think about it for a moment. Let's say you walked into Christian Life Center this morning and you were interested in finding out what God really expected of you to bring joy to his heart. And so you come in and the pastor preaches and shares the message of, of what God expects of us and the commandments of God are laid out before us and as we sit in our seat, we think, well, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good. I, I, I handled that one. I took care of that. Yeah, yeah, did that. Yes, I'm good there. Oh, phew, he's at the end of the list. I covered all those. I'm good. I'm good. And then comes the next part. You missed one thing. You got to sell everything you own. You got to sell it all. Well, that wasn't in the commandment. I, did, I didn't pick that up in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt sell everything you have. But the commandments deal with the heart. That's what they were intended to deal with. And there is a commandment, thou shalt not covet. It's not one of the ones Jesus listed when he was talking to him. But he knew his heart. His stuff had his heart wrapped all around it. And so he said to him, you're missing this one thing. And so to take care of that, I've got a prescription for you. Because greed has gripped your life. The only way to rip those fingers off of your heart is to go sell your stuff. And with every item that you sell, another finger loosens your heart the things that have gripped you and grabbed you every time you make a sale of the stuff that's gripping your heart there goes the grip of greed and the grip of covetousness jesus said if you're willing to do that and come and follow me you'll be all set well if he had taken so much time to follow these commandments, you would think that this should be an easy thing for him. But verse 23 says, when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, just for a little explanation of that, in Jerusalem, there is a very low gate. They name their gates different things. They have, they have uh, uh, the eastern gate. They have the dung gate. They have all these different gates. 
Well, one of the places where you would enter the city uh, was called the Eye of a Needle. And the reason for that was because it was a very small place. And the camels would be loaded up with all the stuff on them, and they wouldn't be able to walk in like you normally would. So they would have to take the camel, take all the stuff off the camel. They would have the camel get on their knees and walk through this entrance. So it was a lot of extra work. Now, for us in our English world, we think of a needle, and we think of the little thing where you put the thread, and we think of a camel. And we're like, woo, that's hard. Right? Okay. But it was just a lot of extra work was the point Jesus was making. And so for that camel to get through that entrance, it was you had to unload the camel, get the camel down. It was very hard. So Jesus said, it takes a lot of extra work for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? He replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. So Peter says, we've left our homes to follow you, Jesus. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life. Would you repeat those words after me? In this life. That's before you get to heaven. Right? And we'll have eternal life in the world to come. Now these are words from Jesus. I'm going to read this again. Listen closely. Jesus replied, I assure you. Now when Jesus assures you something, you can take that to the bank. That everyone, would you say everyone? everyone? Do you think that includes you? I do. Everyone who has given up anything that you give up to follow Jesus, God will see it and he will take good care of you. If you're in this room this morning, and you have allowed the worry and the care of financial provision to rest primarily on your shoulders, I'm here to tell you some good news. You can take that and put it on his shoulders. How are you going to do that? Give it up to him. When you lend to the Lord... God is a debtor to no one. In other words, he will not owe you anything. He always makes good on the things that he promises. And when he assures you something, you better believe he's going to follow through. One of the best ways, if you're in this place and you're facing some financial challenges, one of the best ways to deal with it is say, Lord, what do you want me to do with the little that I have? Over and over, God multiplied by taking the little and using it to bring the blessing. But if that little is grasped in the hand, it's very possible that you will never see a breakthrough. But if you take what God has given you and you listen to the Lord, He will supply.
everything you need. That's his promise. He said, in this life, you will be repaid, listen to this, many times over. I didn't make that up. He said that. Many times over. What does that mean? It's, it means more than what you put in. Now, this is where faith comes in. We either believe what he said, or, like, I'm not sure, so I better always have a plan B. But that's not faith. Faith is believing that what God said, he will follow through on. Now, that was the first rich man. Now, I want to compare with another rich man. Would you skip over to chapter 19, verse 1, and it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Rich man number two. All right. Now, how hard did Jesus say it would be for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Like a camel going through the eye of Anita. Well, I'm about to take you on a journey with a camel going through the eye of Anita. So here we go. It says that Zacchaeus tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead climbed up a, syca a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, wait a minute here. In just a couple sentences, we have had an unloading of wealth. Did you catch what he said? The first half was going to go to the poor. He hadn't even started dealing with the people that he owed money back yet. He said, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I have taken money that wasn't mine, I will give back four times as much. Think about this now. So he's already gotten rid of half. Now he says, if I've taken an extra thousand dollars from you, I'm going to give you four thousand back. Jesus responded, a camel has just gone through the eye of a needle. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. God is not a debtor to anyone. And God desires to see souls saved. So we must evangelize and tell the good news. But my friends, it starts with how we handle what God has given to us. Jesus said these words, he who is faithful with money can be trusted with spiritual riches. So I, as your pastor, am asking God for boldness. As your pastor, I'm asking God for discernment to know how to make right judgment calls on difficult matters. I need that. As your pastor, I'm asking God for his anointing to be able to speak his word in a fresh way, in a timely way that will be directed by his spirit. But for God to answer those prayers, I have to be diligent in handling my own bank account. And there are things that would be stifled here if I, in private, do not follow the leading of the Spirit regarding my own finances. If the Spirit of the Lord tells me to bless somebody, then I have a responsibility to do that. The same thing goes for every single one of us. You can never outgive the Lord. Now, we have, to be, we have to keep this in mind, that our giving must be directed with the right motive. We have to give because the Lord has given to us. If we give with the motive that I want to be very rich, and so I want to give this much so that I get this much back. Well, God sees the ulterior motive there. He's not confused by our motivation. He understands. And that's why in the book of James, it says sometimes you ask and you don't receive because you ask for the wrong motives. So you say, God, give me this. Okay, I believe you, God, for this. And God says, yeah, but you're not willing to use that for me. So God will withhold his hand. But when we surrender everything to the Lord, then that grip of greed will no longer have a part in our lives. And I'm going to tell you here in the United States of America, greed can grip us and we don't even know it. We are so blessed, my friends. We are so blessed. Until you've gone on a missions trip to a country where they have barely anything to eat, you don't realize how blessed you are. The things we throw away in our trash are treasures to many people around the world. So what do we do about it? Well, we don't have to necessarily simply just feel bad about that. That doesn't fix the problem. The problem being fixed is, Lord, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? That's it. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to give everything away. 
Because Jesus did not ask that of every single person. He said it to that man because he knew that greed had gripped his heart. But what God wants from you today, he wants your heart. And when Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and he said, salvation has entered into this home, he knew that money no longer had his heart. When you're willing to give four times back what's been stolen, when you're willing to cut off the top 50% and give it to the poor, that person's free. That person's free. And I'm just here to tell you, friends, wherever you stand in your walk with the Lord, if you're going to be an effective witness, it's great to learn the right scriptures to say. It's great to have a follow-up response to people's questions. We need to be able to give an answer for the hope that is within us. But I want to tell you that your ability to be used by God in, in any public arena, whether it's in your workplace or in your community, ties back to what you're doing in private with what is in your own home. And so I just want to challenge you this morning. If Jesus were standing at Christian Life Center today, and if he were to diagnose every one of us, he would give custom prescriptions. I really believe that. He would say to us exactly what we need to deal with. And I'm not so sure that we would be so gung-ho to hear what he'd have to say. Because every single thing he'd say would touch on an issue that was holding us back from a closer walk with him. Now, it doesn't mean that, that he delights in, in, in causing us to feel uncomfortable. But the truth is, is that if we're going to walk close to God, we have to be willing to lay it all down. Jesus said, count the cost. Consider well. He says, what person would start a project and only get through the foundation and not have enough left to finish it? He said, that person would be mocked. And he was comparing that to a person who had not counted the cost of following Jesus. You and I have a responsibility. And as we fulfill that responsibility, God is going to move in ways you have never imagined. You look at the disciples and we get so excited about what God did in the book of Acts. Don't we? We read that with excitement. God did miracles left and right. Demons were cast out. God was pouring out his spirit. But you need to also see what was going on behind the scenes. These people were selling everything they had and giving it to one another. That was part of the whole package. That's why God was in the working so much because people were willing to lay down everything. God is calling us to set aside priorities of money and time to give him the first and the best. And I want to encourage you to purpose in your heart to say, God, I'm willing to give you my best. I'm willing to lay it all down. And don't worry about what you need. God will take care of that. He's already promised that. I'm going to be honest with you. When I face challenges financially, I ask myself this question. Not so much, oh God, why aren't you providing? Because I know he's always faithful. The question is to me, God, am I doing what you want me to do with what I have? Because I believe sometimes God brings us to a crunch 
to see what we're going to do with the little we have. It's a test, really. Because now when you can be proven with a little, he can entrust you with more. Our spiritual riches, our financial, it all is mixed together. God wants us to put him first and not let riches hold our lives. I'm grateful for the things that God has given us in this church. But this is, this, just this week I was praying, oh God, may the driving force of our church not be based in the things that we see around us. I mean, there's things I'd like to add and do with sound equipment, visual equipment, all kinds of things. There, there are some churches that are all kinds of stuff going on as far as lights and, and exciting things. Those are neat. But my, and, and God can even work in the middle of that. But here's what I don't want to do. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't want people to only be drawn by the exterior things. Because someone who comes to Christian Life Center just because of the exciting stuff that's going on, in order to keep a person like that, guess what you got to do every week? The same thing! More lights, more this, more that. And quite honestly, I don't see Jesus going all out for all that stuff. Now, again, I'm not opposed to it. And there's some fun stuff, and we're going to be doing fun stuff. But at the same time, the heart of the matter is, where's our heart heading? Where's our heart heading? And that's, I, I have to be cautious of that. I have to be cautious that I don't try to outdo anybody else. That's not my business. I'm here to follow the Lord. And I hope you're here to join me in that walk. To see those who are broken healed. To see those who are lost found. And if, and if there's some kind of excitement in the exterior along the way, praise God for that. But may it never be the driving force of why we come to church. We come here because we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I pray that if we had no building, that if we were out in the field somewhere gathering to worship Jesus, that you and I would still be as gung-ho to gather together and lift our voices and magnify the Lord. I watched a video of people in China who are not allowed to worship Jesus. There was a room about one quarter this size packed with people where there was standing room only. There were not a lot of great, there was no great soundboard. There was no uh, microphones to speak of that were really excellent. And in the middle of it all, the entire room was filled with people, hands raised, worshiping God with all their heart. They could care less what was going on because they knew that they had been redeemed. And I pray this morning that our heart and our focus will be like Zacchaeus. God, I want to follow you. I'm willing to give it all up. I'm willing to lay it all down. My heart is not in the exterior. My heart is in you. And may we be hidden in Christ. And I invite the worship team if they could please come up. And I want to ask you this morning, if you're in this place, and perhaps you have been considering the cost to follow Jesus, I just want to 
summarize for you what that cost is. The cost to follow Jesus is simply this. Everything. That's all you've got to give him is everything. So While you're pondering on how much everything is for you, I want to remind you that everything you have was given to you. You're not giving God anything he hasn't already given you. You're in this place, you've been running this race, maybe you feel like you've been a hamster in that wheel and you're just going around and around and you wake up, you go to work, you do, you do your thing, but there's no peace, there's no joy. It's because God made you for a purpose and that purpose was not just to live life on this earth but he made you to worship him. If you're in this room this morning and you would say, dear God, I, I want to surrender my heart to you. I'm willing to repent of my sin today and I want you to wash me clean. I choose to follow you. I've counted the cost. I'm willing to lay down everything. And I want you your Holy Spirit to come and live inside of me. If that's you this morning and you would like to make that declaration of faith and surrender to Jesus Christ, then I invite you right where you are, would you simply stand to your feet as a statement of faith to say, that's me. I want my name written in the book of life. If that's you, the Holy Spirit calls out to you, come, today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Is there anyone here this morning? You sense the Spirit of God tugging at your heart. You may think you're a good person. You've kept commandments. But God's saying to you today, it's not enough. Accept what I have to offer and be born a second time. Is there anyone this morning that needs to make that decision? I see your hand. God sees you. Would you all join me now as we just simply offer ourselves to God and would you simply repeat this prayer and make these words your own dear Lord Jesus I come to you today acknowledging that I have sinned and I need salvation please forgive me of all of my sin. Please take away all of my guilt and please remove all my shame. Please write my name in the book of life. I choose from this day forward to live my life in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, sister. Let's give the Lord thanks for what his Holy Spirit has done.
Now, before we leave this place this morning, I have a question for every single one of us who are following Jesus. Have you passed through the eye of the needle? Have you done what is needed to say, God, you have everything? You see, there are those who are going to get to heaven. They'll make it. There are some that are going to be trying to drag stuff with them. But none of it will get there. And when they arrive, they'll realize missed opportunities. My encouragement to you, friends, is don't waste your time. Hold lightly to the stuff you have. Your house, your car, all the stuff. It's all going to be gone one day. Those in Puerto Rico have experienced that in a very real way. And there are many who are starting over from scratch. Don't work too hard to try to hold on to earthly things. Yes, work diligently, but don't let worry control your work schedule. Carve out time for God and don't let anyone else touch it. 